I mean, this is this is what we've, we've dreamed of for 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 14 years, and it's here. This this is it. It's here. Yeah. I mean, it's not the final fulfillment of every dream we've ever had, but this you know this is a step on the way, and I mean, we're at it. We're there. We're on the way, and maybe we'll keep going farther from here. Welcome back to Camden Cast, your unofficial Baltimore Orioles fan podcast from CamdenChat.com. I'm your host, Mark Brown. I'm Eatmore SK on Camden Chat. We are recording this episode on March the 14th, 2013, in the evening. Since we last spoke, the Baltimore Ravens won the Super Bowl. Pretty exciting time for the city. And uh, the Orioles... Uh, the Orioles signed Jire Jurgens to a minor league contract, and I think that's about the most exciting bit of Orioles news since the last time that we spoke. Uh, if you didn't listen to the last episode, you missed that Andrew Gibson has got a job with the Pittsburgh Pirates now. I think he's actually in Florida right now uh, to be a part of their spring training, whatever they have going on. So happy trails, Andrew. I miss him. But we will soldier on without him. Tonight I am joined by the Picard to my Riker on Camden Chat. She is Stacy Long. Stacy, how's it going? It's going good. I'm glad to be here and Happy to be second choice to your Pirates friend. I, I miss Andrew. I miss him already. He's he seems like he's having fun. I've exchanged a few emails with him, so he's off he's off in a better place. And uh, you know, I think any one of us, if a baseball team somehow wanted to give us a job, even if it wasn't the Orioles, we would be gone. Even if it was the Pirates. Yeah. Although why why did it have to be the Pirates? Well, better the Pirates than you know. The Yankees. That's true. Much better than the Red Sox. Much better the Pirates than the Yankees. I mean, really, unless you're old. I don't know any Orioles fans our age have much of an issue with the Pirates. Then it's like it's like our parents' age that just can never (laughs) get over, or like Ducks' age, I guess. Yeah. But ten years older than ourselves, I guess. So anyway, on Camden Chat we have a preseason prediction contest, and if you haven't you haven't checked it out yet, you should uh, you should submit your responses and see. See how you do at the end of the year. And we have, uh, you can pick who's going to get more out of things like Matt Reeder's caught stealing percentage or Nick Markakis on base percentage. These either or kinds of things. Or like Nolan Reimold games played versus Nolan Reimold days on the DL. And uh, I, I think the biggest way, Stacy, that we can tell that it's a little bit different in Orioles land, in Birdland, uh, this year versus last year at this time. We had a question on the contest, and Stacy actually came up with all the questions, so let's give Stacy all the credit here. But one of the questions is, who will have more, Orioles wins or Yankees wins? And as of right about now, as we're recording, uh, we had 164 responses and 135 people, which is 82%, say the Orioles will have more wins than the Yankees. <laughs> 82% of people that have responded... I love Camden Chat. And I, I love people who say that. The, you know, the, the optimism of the Camden Chat user is well documented from the last time we had, like, and that was two seasons ago, we had like the community predictions for every player, which was kind of tedious, and I think that's why we didn't do it last year. But like, we ended up with like six predictions of 30 or more home runs was the community <laughs> average at that time. And like absurd ERAs and all kinds of stuff. So, I mean... You know, that was a season where we expected the Orioles to suck, and still there was that kind of optimism. But personally, I think even with all the injury problems they've had, if you think the Orioles, if you're sure the Orioles are going to win more games than the Yankees this year, I mean, that's some serious, you know, homerism going on. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but... Well, you know, this year more than any year, you had the combination of the Orioles coming off of a good year and the Yankees... You know, looking on paper, which is, you know, the phrase that some people find silly, but looking on paper to be hurting. And it seems like every day they have another bit of news on someone else who is injured. And so as much as I love to hear that about the Yankees, I am not going to believe I'm not going to get fooled into believing that the Yankees are bad until they actually prove it to me. I've you know, I've gone down that road. Too many times. Right. What is it? Every year I'm convinced this will be the year that Derek Jeter is old and sucks, and it hasn't happened yet. And, uh, yeah. you know, but, I mean, they have had a lot of injuries through spring training. You know, Curtis Granderson, Mark Teixeira, Alex Rodriguez. 
So, I mean, that's, you know, that's a lot of names that are missing from their lineup for early in the season, but I just think the Yankees will find a way because they're the Yankees. Mm-hmm. And Stacy and I both voted the uh, the Yankees would end up with more wins, so you can you can knock us for not believing, but you know, it's just I've seen them overcome too many obstacles before to think this will be the thing that trips them up. And of course, there's a lot of questions about the Orioles as well. Uh, who knows how many of the people will repeat their seasons from last year? But you've probably heard all of that discussed ad nauseum over the off season, and uh, I don't, we don't really want to get into all that again so that's there's our preseason prediction contest you should definitely enter if you haven't yet just check out the post on camdenchat.com you might find yourself the winner at the end of the year and you'll get a to be determined prize from stacy's stash of cool stuff which she hasn't decided what the prize will be yet but it'll be cool though it will be cool we can be sure of that so stacy one reason why you and i are just not so sure about the orioles is uh some of the injuries that have been nagging throughout spring training, probably the biggest one is Nick Markakis, who on the Masson broadcast of today's uh, spring training game, they aired a little clip from him talking to, I don't know who he was talking to, but he was talking about his, his injury situation. And one of the things he said was that the doctor said full recovery, 100% could be 8 to 12 weeks, although he could play baseball in two weeks. And I mean... You, know, you, you want everybody to start the season at 100%. So if you're sitting here in the middle of March and you've got uh, one of your players you're hoping will be one of the better players on the team saying he won't be 100% for 8 to 12 weeks, that's a bad sign. And he also said opening day is not out of the picture, which, again, it's a bad sign if you have to ask whether opening day is in the picture. So that's Nick Markakis uh, with his neck herniated disc thing, right? Right. Yeah, it's really frustrating because Nick went from being the guy who just was always there. Like, and you know, he came up, what, in 2006, and he just never missed any time, never missed time. And now, you know, in the last season and off season, he has, this is his fourth, like, big thing. And it's a team, the Orioles as a team are really going to struggle if they have to miss Nick Markakis for the first however long of the season. You know, when Nolan Reimold started sitting out, we were all like, well, we saw that coming. Right, yeah. I mean, it sucks, but we see it coming. But if he and Markakis are out, I don't know what's going to happen. Right, because then you're talking about, okay, Nate McLeod is in the outfield every day, and who else? I mean, I don't even know. That's going to be like whoever wins the, uh, the, the spring training contest between like Lou Ford and Jason Pridey and L.J. Hose and Steve Pierce. Mm-hmm. I mean, just throwing names at a dartboard. It could be like anybody that you don't really want to see as your opening day right fielder. But yeah. that's what it could be. Or, the good news or is it could be Chris Davis in right field and then like uh, Connor Jackson or Travis Ishikawa plays first base. Who knows? Yeah, none of the alternatives. And like I said, there are there's kind of a lot of names, but none of the alternatives compared to Nick Markakis at all, I don't think. So yeah. it's it's troublesome. It's 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 un it's unfortunate. And Stacy, you pointed out his durability. He the fewest games he played from two thousand seven to two thousand eleven, which is a five year stretch, he played over hundred sixty or hundred sixty or more in four of those five, and the fewest he played is one fifty seven. And last year he only played one oh four, but that was the broken Hammett bone which was caused by getting hit by the pitch. And then there was the other reason he was out was getting hit by a pitch, wasn't it? He he really had some bad hit by pitch luck. Yeah, he had the hammer bone removed, and then he got he broke his what his thumb when, when, when Sebastian yeah, hit him. Yeah. yeah, which of course Joe Girardi, I'm sure, uh, was was appalled by because we know he hates when people get hit by pitch. Oh wait, no, I mean, that's only Sabathia, when they're on the Yankees. Then if Sabathia doesn't know where the ball is going, maybe he shouldn't be out there. Yeah, his stuff is so electric. No, that's that's not right. <laughs> But, you know, so he, you know, you can't control if you get hit in the wrist or the thumb, really. But the herniated disc, well, I guess you can't control that either. But you don't want somebody's body to be breaking down when they're 29. And as I always say, Nick Markakis is six days younger than me. So if Nick Markakis is getting nagged by old man injuries, I mean, that's just really bad for me. Although, of course, I'm not a professional athlete. Uh, I know that's shocking to everybody out there. <laughs> I mean, but he, you know, he was, I had been down on Nick Markakis before last year because he just had mysterious power decline through his prime seasons for like no reason whatsoever. And last year it looked like his power was returning. So 
you know, I was excited to see him come back and hopefully duplicate what he did last year. And now if we're talking about, oh, Nick Marcakis might not be ready on opening day, and we're going to have mystery right fielder. You know, it, it's 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 not getting off on the right foot for wanting to uh, you know see a, see another good year come out of the Orioles is if one of their best players is herniated disc in his neck. Oh yeah, maybe I'll be ready for opening day. Yeah, it's especially rough, you know, if he misses the beginning of the season, when every time the Yankees have done another injury, like Curtis Granderson is going to be out for the first month, and Mark Teixeira is going to be out for this long, and I kept thinking, well, you know, the Orioles can jump out to a nice big lead while those guys are still getting their health together, then that would really be fantastic. And maybe it was karma, <laughs> because now if Nick misses the beginning of the season, that kind of cancels it out a little bit. Right, and, and there's still three more weeks of spring training to go where who knows what could happen. And uh, I'll hopefully, you know, cross our fingers, hopefully there won't be any major setbacks for anybody. But as we said, we've got, you know, Nolan Reimold is always fragile, and you never really know what you're going to get with him. And the big, uh, kind of the, the elephant in the room nobody really wants to talk about, and not even you and I want to talk about it because it makes us depressed, is Brian Roberts. Uh and just, you know, what is, what's going to happen with him? Who knows? Because he's, he just hasn't been healthy forever. And, yeah. you know, people like, uh, like Jim Hunter act like he's going to just come back and plug back in and suddenly be like the player he was when he was, you know, an all-star in uh, whatever year that was. 2007 was the last year he was an all-star. And he also had a really great season in 2005. And, you know, that was... That was six years ago now that he was an all-star in 2007, and it's been uh, it's been four years since he had an OPS over 800. It's been four years since he played more than 60 games. I think there's a lot of variables with Brian Roberts, and I don't. I mean, there's like this this spectrum that gets increasingly more scary because there is on one end he is healthy and he's back and he's good. And that, I think, is, I don't know how likely that is, but it's not the most likely, I don't think, on the spectrum. At the other end is he's hurt and he can't play at all. And in the middle is kind of like his range of health and his, how good he is. And, like, um, I think the scariest one for me is if he's completely healthy, but he's terrible. I mean, he hasn't played a full baseball season since 2009. Right. And the amount of time that the Orioles are going to give Brian Roberts to prove that he is good again, if he's healthy that entire time, I don't, if he's, if he's not playing well, it, what it could do to the team kind of frightens me. <laughs> yeah. It feels to me like as much as we've seen Dan Duquette be an unsentimental executive vice president of baseball operations, if there's one spot where he won't be able to just, you know, immediately make the hard decision, it would be Brian Roberts just because I think well I don't I don't think he's faced that much of a difficult decision yet and I don't expect that he would just like what if Brian Roberts is bad for a month and he's not hurt you know I don't think they just would release Brian Roberts after April and I think if he's on the roster it'll be hard to sit him on the bench cuz if he's not good enough to start I mean what does he do for the team on the bench you know nothing right and I think that you know a lot of this has been kind of made of since Duquette got here, we haven't really heard much from Peter Angelos, or at least not that we're aware of, of him interfering or meddling. But you know that Brian Roberts is his golden boy. Right. I mean, and the, they the, love each other. The, the Angelos favorites, I would say, are, are Brian Roberts and Nick Markakis. And Markakis is a good enough player where I don't think there will ever be a hard decision with him, I hope. Also, he's kind of um, a little overpaid, so I don't think you have to worry about him getting traded, even in a favorable deal for the Orioles because to a team that's not the Orioles, he's not worth the salary that he's scheduled to be paid for the next couple of years, I think. Although if he, if he rebounds, then he would be, and that would be great. But, you know, it, I don't I don't know what Dan Duquette would do if Brian Roberts was terrible in April and healthy. And I hope we don't have to find out one way or the other because, I mean, that would, be, that would be hard to watch as a fan because as Andrew liked to say, uh, you know, we were kind of in the Brian Roberts era of the Orioles for better and for worse for several years, uh, generally for worse, because the rest of the team was not very good. And 
then you know it was it was sad that he couldn't play last year when they finally were good. But, I mean, what what can you do? There's so many parts of him that could break. Like he had the concussion problems that kept him out for so long. And when he finally came back from that, uh, what was it? The hip labrum was what sent him off to the DL for good last season. Yes, and then he had that secret hernia surgery that no one found out about for a while. Right, until like February when he reported to spring training or something <laughs> and suddenly, oh yeah, I had sports hernia surgery back in January or around Christmas or who knows what it was. So, uh, great job, as always, by the Orioles beat writer, beat writer core, getting the facts when they happen. Uh, yeah, no. So, yeah, I mean, who knows? His, his back could go wrong from diving for a baseball. And, by the way, the, the few televised games I've seen, he hasn't looked good out there in the field. Maybe he, he needs to work back to get his range back, but, he, I mean, you take the old joke about what you call a ground ball to Derek Jeter's left, a base hit up the middle. Well, I mean, that's Brian Roberts' right from the, the games I've seen of spring training so far this year. He, he just can't really get to him, it doesn't seem like. Well, I think that goes back to, I mean, it goes to a lot of things. He's older. He hasn't played regularly in so long. And also, defensively up the middle like that, I don't, you know, even in 2008-2009, he didn't seem to be that fantastic at, if, if my memory serves. So, you know, on record, kind of like in on Canon Chat, when people bring up Brian Roberts, I always have been very positive. And I really want to be positive about Brian Roberts because I think that, um, I think that, it would be so if the Orioles could be good and Brian Roberts could be good with them, then it would just that wouldn't be something about 2013 that would be very special that we didn't have last year and there isn't much, you know. Yeah, the fact that both really both Roberts and Marquez were on the deal when the playoffs started was probably the the saddest aspect of 2012 because here's these two guys who've really ground out through some terrible Orioles seasons and they they you know they couldn't be on the field for that they had to catch the ceremonial first pitches from uh what was it the the guidance counselor and the student who had gotten shot mm-hmm. at Perry Hall High School so I mean that was cool but you know both of them would have rather been in the starting lineup and it would have been great if both of them were healthy enough and good enough to be in the starting lineup so maybe you know that's the one thing that could would be great if it went better this year uh is, is if both those guys were healthy but who knows what is going to happen and Brian Roberts is 35 and so the the aging curve for second baseman is not kind. So and then on top of that, it's not like he was at the top of his game for the last three years. So even not regarding his health issues, he could have fallen off the cliff just in terms of his general baseball skills in that time, and we wouldn't have known it because we haven't seen him play. So there's just so like you said, there's so many uh, on along the range of possibilities, and uh, that he's healthy and good is not the most likely. No, and you know it's funny how little I even consider Brian Roberts anymore, and it's a little sad. But you know, like I, I listen to XM Radio uh, in the mornings when I'm driving into work, and they've been doing like a different player spotlight every morning leading up to you know during spring training. And the other morning they were talking about Brian Roberts, and they were saying how after he got hurt, you know, Orioles fans and the Orioles team they kept kind of like waiting. Oh well, when Brian Roberts gets back, and waiting for Brian Roberts to get back. And then last year the Orioles were finally good, and no one even noticed that Brian Roberts wasn't there. And so he's kind of an afterthought these days. And I hadn't really thought about it, but when they said that, I was like, man, these guys, these national writers or national broadcaster guys, are totally right because I have barely like when I think about what's going to make the team this year. He hardly even crosses my mind. And I think that if he could come back and have like one, you know, last hurrah and really kind of pick it up and be good and be good enough to be on the team, that would be pretty special, I think. And it would be nice for him to be, to be back in our, you know, frame of reference for the Orioles instead of just kind of completely forgot, forgetting about him. Like you, Stacy, I barely give any thought to Brian Roberts. And in fact, um, whenever I went down the uh, Zips the Dan Zaborski Zips projection system for the Orioles position players. Instead of even listing the projections for Brian Roberts, I just typed LOL and and moved on because at that time I didn't give any thought to the idea that Brian Roberts would be healthy or good. And uh, I I just because we've heard this story before, right? The, the every every writer and broadcaster that's associated with the Orioles just like wants him to be good, and that's fine. They want him to be healthy and good, and you know. 
Well, so That's do fine. I. Right, so do we. And, we're, <laughs> you know, the, the difference is we don't have to pretend to be unbiased observers while still occasionally having um, blind spots. You know, you and I, we're fans of the Orioles. We try and be objective, but, you know, we're fans of the Orioles. And it would be great if Brian Roberts was good. But, you know, and, and in fact, they were doing it again today. And uh, on the broadcast, Jim Hunter was talking about Brian Roberts. And he said something like, the best thing about Brian Roberts this season is he's just like any other player, which sounded funny out of context. But what he meant was there hasn't been any rehab drama or injury setbacks uh, as far as we know, which is great. And But then then they went into Brian Roberts' spring training uh, stats, which he's batting 400 in, in spring training, if you didn't know, uh, with an OPS over 1,000. So he uh, could be... I did not know. He could be a candidate for the Jake Fox Award, unfortunately, which... The Jake Fox Spring Training MVP award goes to the player who dominates spring training and then uh, inexplicably. Well, it's not inexplicably because you never expected them to be good in the regular season in the first place. But he's the player like everybody starts talking up because of his great spring. When you know in the pit of your heart, he's just not going to be good. And I, I hope that's not Brian Roberts, but you know, I don't know how else to explain how he could have a good spring. And then I don't think he's going to be good in the regular season. I can season. explain it. He's had 20, 21 plate appearances. Yeah, well, there you go. Small sample size. but I mean, I could find a million 21 plate appearance, appearance stretches over the regular season where plenty of guys not that great at baseball hit 400, you know? Yeah. And it's like, given the alternative, you obviously would rather them be good than not good in spring training. But, uh, yeah. I mean, I try not to give the broadcasters too hard of a time because they got to talk about something. Especially in spring but, training. I mean... The game doesn't matter, and after the seventh inning, if not sooner, you know, the outfield, every player on the field is just going to be ridiculous. Like, I think the outfield after the seventh inning today was, like, Steve Pierce, Trayvon Robinson, and LJ Hose, which, I mean, all those guys could play in Orioles games this year, but I doubt if they get 20 starts between them. And if they do, something has probably gone wrong. We got bigger problems. There's, there's bigger things to worry about than, uh, than than Brian Roberts or anybody else's health. If, if any one of those guys sees great playing time, although, on the other hand, as we saw last year, and, and Stacy and I, you and I have to get used to this. Dan Duquette is not going to do what we're used to from Orioles GMs in the past of sticking with guys for too long, for the most part. Although we just we would expect him maybe to for Roberts, but you know he was shuffling, and I expect he'll shuffle again. And we don't have to worry about, what was it last year? We've, we've all freaked out about the Miguel Tejada signing to a minor league deal just because we didn't know the, the way Dan Duquette worked yet. But now we know if he signs a guy like Miguel Tejada, mm-hmm. or, Jamie Warfuck, or Jamie Moyer, it doesn't matter because it's not like the McPhail days or anybody before that where if they signed a terrible veteran, inevitably that guy was going to get called up and play. If they're not good enough to play, Dan Duquette is not going to call them up to play, and that's good. That's great. So Brian Roberts, we are kind of irrationally not excited about, but uh, both of us have players we are, in fact, irrationally excited about based on early on in spring training. So Stacy, who is your number one guy who's maybe not been that great in the past, and uh, now now you suddenly are excited about them? Well, I kind of have two. Uh, one, I you know I wrote about a couple days ago or yesterday, whenever that was. Brian Mattis, he had an outstanding four innings. Which for a reliever that is a which we assume he's going to be a reliever. That's a that's a that's a long. I mean, everyone stretch. is still and, treating him like a starter candidate, but I personally right. But I don't think that a reliever. But he had a fantastic start. He got 12 outs out of 13 batters, five ground outs and seven strikeouts. And um, the game wasn't televised, unfortunately, but I was listening to it on the radio, and Joe Angel just was raving about him and it sounded like everything went so well. And that kind of got me in the, cause the thing, Brian Mattis kills me because do you remember, do you remember how good it seemed like he was going to be? Yeah. He was, and then it just, he was raved about it. He was supposed to be like a four pitch guy, a lefty. And you know, that's awesome. Polished from the university of San Diego or whatever. And the, what was it? You and I, one time we're, we're talking about, uh, on Google chat, we were talking about the Orioles were about to play Mark Burley. And I looked at his stats and I was like, wow, Mark Burley's thrown over 200 innings for the next 10 years. And we were like, man, 
Imagine 10 years from now when we say, man, uh, Brian Mattis has thrown over 200 <laughs> innings for 10 years for the Orioles. Like, can you imagine we actually said that? That was in like the fall of 2010. That was a thing that actually passed between Stacy and I. We actually had that conversation. Well, I mean, I Brian gets a lot of crap on from the commenters on Canon Chat. Um, and... Rightly so, because he hasn't been great. But I just, unlike other pitchers or other players in the past, where they're kind of like near the top of the prospect list because the prospect list totally isn't that great, or we never really know. This guy, for a while, I mean, his minor league numbers were dominant. And then when he came up and he, even when he struggled, he had he looked good, he had this brilliance. And then, I mean, then we all know what happened. The last two seasons, he's just been just terrible. He was the and, number five rated prospect by Baseball America prior to the 2010 season. So it's not right like now, were... Dylan Bundy's number three. So don't count your chickens, yeah. people. <laughs> and so I just, I don't know. I know that spring training stats don't really mean that much. But I just think that this team, even if, even if he's just a shutdown guy in the bullpen, if Brian Mattis can be what we thought he was... What he thought, what we thought he could be, in some capacity, I mean that that would be great for the team. It'd be huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, you want to talk about? He just looked like toast after that 2011 season. It was awful. You couldn't imagine how could someone come back from that. And then he wasn't that great as a starter either last year. But then they turned him into clutch reliever. Who? I sure didn't see that coming. And, you know, who knows, maybe that gave him confidence that he needed, like something was wrong in his head and he just needed to remember, oh, yeah, I can pitch. Maybe that'll let him be a starter again, although I don't I don't think so. Uh, in the in the FanFest interviews back behind the curtain, a reporter, not one of the regular core, core but a, a Baltimore sports reporter literally prefaced the question to him by saying, well, at least re- relievers get paid more now than they used to, right? Like, Someone said that to his face. What is that? <laughs> How do you do that? And I mean, that's a bad sign if you have reporters saying to your face, well, hey, you know, at least relievers get paid more nowadays, right? Like, come on. He, he didn't sound to me like he was super positive or excited. Brian Mattis himself, like he thought he was going to start again. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been wrong about many things before, as was documented perhaps across the entirety of this podcast last year. Uh, and anything I wrote on Camden Chat, really. But, it, you know, I can only go off what I think. And it just, I, I just don't feel like he can come back and be a starter again after all he's been through. But you need lefties in the bullpen. And uh, Troy Patton can't pitch every day, so. Nope. And, you know, maybe limiting himself to one inning at a time, he can do different things than he has to worry about when he's pacing himself for, you know, 100 pitches or whatever. So, you know, if he's a good reliever for the rest of his time here and that's all he is, it's not as high as our uh, initial hopes, for sure, but that's a good guy to have on your team. Mm-hmm. Another another kind of irrationally uh, excited or optimistic, and I mean, if we could if we could rewind one year. Speaking of people who get things wrong, just about one year ago, we were doing you know the preseason podcast, me you and Andrew, and I gave so much crap to Chris Davis about how terrible he is and how he, I can't stand him and he can't hit and he can't catch and he can't do anything. And I wanted Nick Johnson to play over him. Well, this is why I don't run a professional baseball team, among many reasons. Yeah. Because Chris Davis went on to be pretty fantastic. Who knew? And, I sure didn't. I don't think I talked trash about him, but I did. Uh, I know I did. Well, I, I mean, other than Dan O'Hare, I don't think anybody could have expected him to hit 33 home runs. No, but I think that just he so out, you know, did my my low expectations. He was so much higher than that. And now I kind of as much as I I disliked him as a player this time last year, that's how much I like him now. And so I do think that, I mean, he certainly has the capability to, to be good again, but he certainly but he doesn't have a track record. Right. You know, he he's he's been up and down in his in his career and. You know, but he is going to be 27 this year, which is the magic age. And so I think that I have really high hopes for him. And Chris Davis's birthday is St. Patrick's Day, in fact. He'll be 27. Yeah. So happy birthday, Chris Davis. 
<laughs> and and so I think that I'm kind of irrationally optimistic about him to the same level that I was kind of irrationally mean to him last year. And so that probably just means he's going to break my heart. He is so strong, it's ridiculous. I don't think we could really know that until we had seen him in action. Like some of those home runs he hit last year, like the broken bat home run, was just really ridiculous. And if you if you ever are close to him for some reason, uh, which which I was also at FanFest, I was literally wedged in next to him, and I didn't want to get bumped into him because, like, you know, I think his forearm might be about as big as me. And and someone asked him how much he could bench press, and he looked at the reporters and said, I'm pretty sure I could bench press all of you combined. And I, you know, at that moment, I would have believed him. Uh, but, you know, he, he just, he's a big, strong dude. And if he connects on a mistake, it's gone. The end. It's it's crazy. And I don't know, can he do that again for another year? That's one of the things I guess I'm worried about. But, you know, we've seen a lot more from Chris Davis than I thought he was capable of, even if it was a fluke year. So... Even if he settles back to be a little less good than that, that you know, it's not crazy to think he could do 90% of that, 85%, which is still a pretty good player to have on your team, especially mm-hmm. for whatever he's making this year. 3.3 million says Cots contracts. So, you know, hey, it, it, you know, if you're going to be irrationally excited about somebody, uh, a guy who hit 33 home runs last year, you could do a lot worse than that. For instance, my irrationally excited guy last year was Jake Arrieta, which, um, you know, that turn out. how did that turn out? Let's not even talk about that, really. I uh, I don't even know what to say. And I've gone, I, after having been burned by Jake Arrieta last year, I cannot believe in him anymore. If he, if he pitches, uh, in fact, for one of our other preseason contest questions was the number of pitchers who start a game for the Orioles versus number of games started by Jake Arrieta. And uh, I'm pretty sure I picked pitchers who make a start. And I only think, hopefully, that'll only be like eight. And I don't think Jake Arrieta should or will start even eight games. So there's just so many guys who should be better than Jake. So unless they get hurt or start sucking, we shouldn't see him, really. We both chose pitchers, number of pitchers who make a start over number of starts made by Jake Arrieta. Yeah. I just, you know, I don't see it happening. So that was my irrational excitement last year. And uh, for this year, I didn't really have one until today when, you know, Stacy, I've been kind of trying to do the too cool for caring about spring training thing. I've noticed. I don't really, I don't listen to any of the games that aren't on uh, WVAL. I don't watch games that aren't on Masson. I've, I've really only watched the ones, and there's only been three games. I think today was the fourth on Masson, maybe. Maybe it was the third. I haven't I haven't really tuned in. You know, I try and do the whole, well, spring training stats don't matter, nothing matters, whatever. But today, I tuned in for today's uh, the game, and I watched Kevin Gossman. And it's the first time I've really watched him pitch. And he was just throwing 95 miles an hour like it was nothing. And then he's throwing 95 to 97 mile an hour fastballs. And he was pitching against Luke Scott. And he had two strikes, and he threw a, a, a changeup, 81 miles an hour when he's been throwing 95-mile-an-hour fastballs. And this changeup, I swear, it dove from belt to, like, ankles. And Luke Scott just pathetically swung over the pitch, which, of course, you know, Luke can do that for a lot of things. But it, it was just such a beautiful pitch. Like, you know, people will talk about, oh, this guy has a good changeup, and it just kind of, like, drops a little bit, and the bat just, like, barely misses it when I get the strikeout pitch. And this was, like, you know, he swung a foot over the baseball. It was it, re- it was really one of the most incredible change-ups I've ever seen. And I just, uh, he didn't have a great outing other than that. He had some command problems with his fastball, which he admitted. So, you know, Kevin Gossman has some stuff to learn. But I saw that pitch, and I was just like, oh, my God. Like, if he can throw that and have his fastball command and velocity... Because, of course, the great Earl Weaver uh, thing with fastball changeup was if you have a 10-mile-an-hour or more difference, you're good. And Gossman is up there at, like, 12 to 14 miles an hour difference between his fastball and his changeup, which is absurd. And, you know, you can read sort of through the Internet some people saying, well, Gossman might even be more ready for the major leagues than Dylan Bundy. And 
watching those two guys today, which of course only one game, small sample size, whatever, but I could see why Gossman is closer to being big league ready possibly than uh, than Bundy today. And just after watching him, I, I was just really excited to see him. You know, maybe in July or maybe in August he'll be up on the team if he works his way up. And uh, I just think, man, this guy, he's going to be on the Orioles for a while. And that, that, that was pretty exciting. So there's my irrationally excited guy. Well, good. I was not lucky enough to watch the game today because I have had to be at work, unfortunately. But just reading through the game thread, the way everyone was swooning over uh, Gossman's pitches. Right. If you don't, if you don't follow our regular commenters, we have a guy. His name, his screen name is Ozfan21, who's uh, quite a bit of a hater of everything, really, and especially pitchers, because he was a former college pitcher. Uh, and he was he was practically orgasmic over Gossman today, even more so than like I just was on that rant right there. He was even more so. And this is the guy who anytime anybody like grounds out to second base, he's saying, well, I can't say what he says on camera chat on this podcast, but he's a uh, he's not easily impressed. And he was very impressed by Gossman today. So that as much as anything was impressive that even the hard to impress was fan 21 was was impressed by Gothman. So, you know, that doesn't mean he's going to be the number five starter out of spring training, but it, it gives you reason to be excited for him for later in the season or the seasons to come. Knock on wood, hopefully nothing happens to uh, take him off that track. So, you know, I, I would like to see him later in the summer if he keeps pitching like that. And hopefully, you know, he, he can go to Norfolk and learn a few things that he, he needs to learn and and come up and start being yeah, awesome. That'd be great. That that would be the most exciting thing, really. I don't know if that's going to happen, but that's what I hope for. It's good to hope. It is. It is good to hope. That's 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 another big thing from last year versus this year. It's not bad to hope. I like last year. I wouldn't let myself hope. The whole season went by. I could barely let myself dare to hope. And this year, here we are. It's good to hope. It is. It's good to hope. If I have one regret about last year myself, it's that I wish I could have just sat back and enjoyed it sooner than I did. Yes, I agree with that. You know, just as I said earlier in the podcast that I that I won't let myself believe that the Yankees are going to be bad until I see it. I had been the same way about the Orioles, only I wouldn't believe that they would be good until I saw it because we had been burned before. I wasn't like completely distraught about them the whole year, but I was really back and forth between, well, some days I was feeling very hopeful and some days, especially when they were in the middle of like a five game losing streak, I was like, oh my God, they're never going to win another game. Here's where it falls apart. Here's where they're going to sink below 500. I'm pretty sure I thought that until they won their 82nd game, I thought they were going to find a way to, to still continue the losing season streak. And, you know, th- there were days where I was feeling very good, and there were days where it was just, like, bleak and pointless. And now I know, you know what? It's okay to hope again. Because after that, I mean, anything is possible after the 2012 Orioles season. Some of those possibilities are bad, but, you know, think about, what, the last five years before this, you would go into spring training, and everybody's always like, oh, spring training is a time for optimism, and you can kind of sort of tell yourself, well, maybe this will be the year... This, this, and this. If they go right, maybe they'll win 83 games or something. And But, you know, you didn't really believe that, really, if you were honest with yourself. But now we know that stuff can happen. It can be real. And, you know, that doesn't mean they'll be good again this year, because it's counting on a lot of things to be constant from last year, since they've brought back pretty much the entire same team, other than Mark Reynolds and Joe Saunders. Yeah, well, I know this year, if they're good this year... I'm going to enjoy it a lot more than I did last year. Not, I mean, I loved last year. Last year was amazing. But just like you said, I kept waiting for the other shoe to drop. And I'm not going to do I, – I made a decision at the end of last year that the next time they're good, I'm, I'm not going to watch them waiting for them to be bad again. I, and hopefully I can stick to it. The thing about last year was even when they won all those exciting games, which there was many, of course – I was still watching all those games, waiting for them to lose. And that became kind of a joke on Camden Chat uh, during the 18-inning Seattle game. Every time Jesus Montero come up to the plate, I was expecting him to hit the walk-off hit. Like, I literally 100% to the core of my being believed that the game was going to end from Jesus Montero hitting a walk-off home run. And that was just how I was for, like, every game that, that went into extra innings. And they only lost, what, the two? Mm-hmm. 
by 16 and 2. Both to the Yankees, one uh, at the beginning of the season and one towards the end, right, or whatever. And um, it was just, like, I just expected them to lose every time. The Chris Davis pitching game, there was the crazy relay play, and as soon as the ball was off the bat, I was like, oh, well, that's it, game over. And then, nope. And then Gary Thorne was screaming, he's out, he is out. It was like the game 162 from 2011. That call was like the replay there. And, you know, so it's, it's okay to hope now. I can hope. You can hope. Everyone out there, don't be afraid to hope. And hopefully the Orioles don't let us down, but at least we had last year, one way or another. And, uh, you know, don't, don't be afraid to hope. That's, that's our big lesson. Although there's one player we're a little bit less hopeful about, Stacy. Uh, and that's J.J. Hardy. I'm, I'm, I'm a little worried about him, not for injury-related reasons, but just, just reasons that he just maybe, I don't know, he, he like can't hit as well anymore. Like he, had a, he had a down season last year in terms of his stats. And his spring, they were saying on the broadcast so far this year, he has one hit in 19 plate appearances, which, you know, whatever, 19 plate appearances don't matter. But if you want to look at, well, last year he batted 238, with a 282 on base percentage, it's like, well, what happened to him that suddenly that happened? And I don't know. I'm a little worried about it. Well, you know, he has never been a high on base percentage guy. You know, other than, like, I think he had one year with Milwaukee where he had a, a, a good on base percentage. And other than that, he's always been, you know, a, a little bit over, three, over 300 uh, on base percentage, which is not good. But, I mean, last year was especially bad. Yeah, his best in and, his career was 2008 with the Brewers. He had a 343 on base percentage. And other than that, he seems to be in the... You know, between like 300, 320 yeah. is kind of his range. Right. So I think that anybody does have power. I mean, he hit uh, 22 home runs even with his uh, 282 on base percentage. And so, I mean, last year was a down year, but I don't think that it's indicative of how he's going to be this year. And I think that the Orioles team is not going to suffer as much or hopefully, even if he's not quite, you know, doesn't bounce back too far. If they can play him in a lower half of the lineup and don't expect him to bat first or second, the way that he did all of last year, if they have guys who can fill those roles so that he's not expected, you know, to be a top of the lineup guy. So that when he hits 21, ground balls that turn into double plays, maybe it doesn't matter because it wasn't the top of the order that he's erased or whatever. Right. He's not, you know, he's not batting second and wiping out the leadoff hitter. So now there's two outs for the number three batter. Yeah. But I mean, so I think a guy like him who has, doesn't have great on base skills, but has good, decent power skills and who can play shortstop as good as that guy plays shortstop. He was really great. I mean, you can argue what I think was it uh, kind of Brendan Ryan was the sabermetric choice for um, Gold Glove last year. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, J.J. Hardy maybe wasn't the best fielding shortstop in, in the major leagues, but it wasn't embarrassing for the Gold Glove award that he won. No, he is very He was very in the top good. three, no question about it. So, you know, so, he, he deserved that award, even if maybe if you get down to the nitty gritty, whatever the defensive numbers say, he wasn't the best, but... He was really, really good and, you know, a worthy person to be and have his name in the hat there. So, I mean, if I was going to make a prediction about J.J., and not that I'm any good at predictions, certainly, but I would I would think that probably his year this year is going to – his on-base will bounce up to, you know, 300, a little over 300, which is still not great, which is much more respectable than what he had last year. And I think that it really depends – our, our frustration level with J.J. Hardy will really depend on what's going on with the rest of the team, much kind of like with Wilson Bedamy. You know, the Orioles signed Wilson Bedamy to hit right-handers, not to hit left-handers, not to play the field necessarily, but then he got forced into those positions more than he should have last year. Right. And that's why people get so frustrated with him. So I think that depending on what happens with the rest of the team, we may not even notice J.J.'s hitting line very much, you know? Yes. And if you want to look for a reason that maybe he could bounce back, you can talk about, well, maybe he's a um, candidate to have some regression up towards the mean for batting average on balls in play because his career batting average on balls in play is 275. And last year, he only batted 253 on balls in play. So if you bring that up to his 
career number, suddenly he's batting somewhere in the range of, I don't know, 260 instead of 238, and, you know, that gives him another 20 on-base points just from raising his average. And if if he's not below the, what I call the Isturis line, 300 on-base percentage, then it, it looks a lot better. Especially if he hits home runs sort of at the pace he did in 2011, where he had 30 in 129 games, that'd be pretty awesome. Well, that was outstanding. That was outstanding. I mean, that was that was, I mean, what his slugging was 491, which is quite a bit higher than he's had any other year of his career. Yeah. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect that to happen. But hey, you never know. Well, he had a 463 and a 478 in back-to-back years for Milwaukee. So yeah, yeah, I guess he did. It's not too bad, not too shabby. So, you know, we're a little worried about J.J., but you know what? It's good he's on the Orioles, and I think he will be a good value for the contract he's been given. Although, he might be trade bait. Who knows what Dan Duquette is brewing? You never know. Dan Duquette and he's handsome. Know. And he's handsome. Well, there you go. I'm not the person to judge these things, but I will I will accept your, your opinion there. Good, because it's, it's right. Who else on the Orioles? Or, or do you not want me to put you on the spot about that? Who, who, who's up there with J.J. Hardy? I don't know. You, on, on the handsome scale? On the handsome scale, yeah. Oh, I don't know. Chris Davis is a very handsome man. Chicks take uh, the long ball. And, right, he's very, he's very very handsome. He and J.J. are probably probably my top two. All right. Well, there you go. I won't try and draw out anymore. I, I Appreciate know, that. I don't know that you would want to. So Stacy and I had something we wanted to talk about tonight. There's not really a good segue into it, so we're just going to dive into it. And that is this. And, and Stacy feels much more passionately about it than I do. But the Orioles promotion department really needs to get their act together because their list of promotions is lame. It's just really They're terrible. It's, it's so boring and unexciting. And you can look at pretty much every other team in Major League Baseball, and they do more interesting promotions than the Orioles. Maybe the Yankees are boring because they don't have to have promotions to sell tickets. Well, you know, the Red Sox don't even give anything out. Right, or, or the Red Sox because, again, they have their, their fake sellout streak that's finally going to end, but whatever. But most, most other teams in baseball do creative and interesting things, and the Orioles pretty much have, like, a token one or two bobblehead dolls. One. One. It's, right, this year it's just the fan choice. And perhaps just one. Maybe that's because they got embarrassed like the three years previous where they had bobblehead dolls for guys who'd been sent to the minors. Last year they didn't have that problem. No, because like, well, they only gave away one bobblehead last year too. Right? Did they, only give away, they gave away J.J. Hardy. That was the that's fan right. choice. That's right, they did give away J.J. And I thought there was another one too, but maybe there wasn't. Maybe there wasn't. I don't know. But then, but, what was it? Uh, Brian Mattis was in Norfolk for his bobblehead. Yeah, they, and so was Nolan So was Nolan Reimold. Pretty embarrassing. Let me tell you, the Orioles have always had a kind of, I think, substandard promo list. Even, and I've I've always felt like you're a team that sucks. I mean, 2012 notwithstanding, and you want to get people in the seats, have more ticket promotions, have give away more stuff, all that stuff. And they, other than like what T-shirt Thursday or T-shirt Tuesday, whatever they called it. And a few other random things. And then finally, at the end in September, they had like six games where they had the throwback to 1992 pricing. Well, those were awesome. Yeah. But, I mean, there's but, no reason they couldn't have been doing that for like one series a month all year. Well, that's because they, they were too embarrassed to have a half-empty stadium for a contending team. And yeah. they felt like they had to do something. Yeah. But, you know, speaking of contending teams... Um, I'm planning a trip, and this is when kind of my real ire for the promotions came up. And um, I'm planning a trip this summer to go see the Orioles when they play in San Francisco. And as many of you, I'm sure, know, the Giants have won the World Series, what, two of the last three years. So they are very – and they have a beautiful ballpark, a good contending baseball team, and they probably are not really the kind of team that needs – to give away a lot of stuff in order to get people in the front door. Right. But if you look at their list of promotions, they have so many promotions. The skinning that they have like five bobbleheads. They have the Giants World Champion Parade Snow Globe. They have a fedora that Mark is very fond of. I love that fedora. (laughs) It's, It's orange and black and white. And the Orioles could just take that and stick the cartoon bird on that. And I don't even wear hats. I would wear that thing, man. I would wear that all the time. That thing is awesome. 
They're giving away a set of four like bottle wine bottle stoppers of their announcers. I mean, they're adorable. John Miller is one of them. Like they just have so many awesome giveaways, and they give them like all their bobbleheads, all of their they give it out to twenty, thirty, forty thousand fans. So it's not even all their bobbleheads go to forty thousand people, which is a lot. There's also the That's, Sergio Romo gnome. I know. They just have. They have. I mean. I don't want to read through all of them. It just, I was, when I went onto the Giants website to look at their ticket options, and I promos, What? <laughs> they're giving out Giants World Series ring replicas. Giants orange sombrero. That's awesome. They have, they have a two a for one flight voucher day for 40,000 fans. I know. That's the game I'm going to. Oh, all right. You fly in Virgin <laughs> so, America to go out there? No, I don't think that's too bad. But so I just it kills me that a team like the Orioles who have had to have struggled with attendance don't do stuff like this. Like you any of you who have been at an Orioles game on, say, Buck Show Walter Bobblehead Day or Matt Weir's Bobblehead Day, you know that people show up for that stuff. People love the statue games last year and, you know, knock the Orioles promotions last year. They had the one special statues there. yes and the statues, the statues were, were all that was very awesome yeah. so much so that you know if you got there early enough you'd see like people with eight statues in bags or more that had apparently just bought tickets just to get the statues and sell them on ebay yeah and, and you'd see them walking in the other direction which i think i saw one person with like 25 of those boxes that was leaving before the cal ripken statue game and man did they miss out although then again if they cashed in on 25 Cal Ripken statues, maybe they don't feel like they missed out, but, I mean, holy smokes. Yeah. But So that was cool, but then, then they're back to, you know, they don't have the anything to just be on the promotion schedule this year, like, above and beyond the usual. Right. And, you well, know, they, we, and they even cut back, like, there's less t-shirt days than normal? Yes. Right now, there's, uh, there's three t-shirt days on the calendar. May the 29th, July the 9th, September the 26th. So that's so that's all even the t-shirts. So all year there's three t-shirt giveaways. Right. So, and like I mean, it's hats, just... and that's all. There's the yeah. floppy hat 1983 world champs, which probably will be cool. Bag practice cap. Oh, nope, that's it. One bobblehead doll. Adam Jones replica away jersey. Maybe that'll be cool. A Birdland beach towel presented by Visit Sarasota County. And it'll be drawstring bag. You know, this is lame. Give me a fedora. <laughs> Give me a Matt Weeder's garden gnome. Yeah, that would be awesome. And he's like throwing out the other gnome or something. <laughs> you can have like a, you know, a gnome he's throwing out or who knows, man. I mean, I feel like you and I have been having this discussion for years now. Right. This is just the first and... time we've unleashed this rant on yes, the podcast. Yes, it's true. But this year but... it's also more egregious than it has been in years past. Yeah. One, because they don't have the statues on this year. And two, because you can look at a team like the Giants and see like five bobblehead days and the bottle stoppers and Giants slumber party night. What? Really? Yes, really. I think they did that last year, too. And they're just giving away stuff, not all the time, but a lot. Why aren't the Orioles doing that? You know, especially after last year, they could find sponsors for some more giveaways than they did last year. It doesn't just have to be you know, 10,000 t-shirts presented by Real Street Staffing. Somebody's got to want to sponsor some stuff. But it's like they didn't even try. That's what it feels like to me. It's like they did not even try. Just like last year, it felt like they didn't even really try until the last two weeks of the season to get people to go when they were contending. And you had, like, every person that gets to go into the park for free and park for free and eat for free, i.e. the reporters were complaining about Baltimore fans not going to the game. And the Orioles had, like, no promotions. They had, like, no ticket sales. Nothing. What are you doing? Hire some more people. Hire me. I'll come up with ideas all the time. I'll make them happen. I'm available. But they don't. I don't know. Well, I mean, I can settle for a winning baseball team. But look, the San Francisco Giants get a winning baseball team and good crap. Two World Series in three years. And they're still giving away stuff all the time. Not all the time, but frequently. 
Mother's Day World Champions Charm Necklace. That one doesn't have a picture on their page, but I'm sure. I'm sure it's cool. I'm sure it will be cool. Oh, but the Orioles and the Giants are both giving away a license plate frame, so there you go. But the Giants is World Champions license plate frame, and the Orioles is not, so there's this no. a little bit less cooler. And also, the Orioles, uh, you know, can't really have a World Champions parade snow globe because they haven't been World Champions in my lifetime. Maybe they could give away a Ravens Championship parade snow globe. I don't know that they would be allowed to do that. But, you know, you, you shake it up, and then it's like the picture of the people who were climbing over the closed fence of M&T Bank Stadium after they'd shut it off. That was like the most Baltimore picture of that parade. Anyway, before I get sidetracked, Orioles have some cool promotions. Take like five seconds to come up with more ideas than just bobbleheads and t-shirts. Fifteen seconds. Something. Even just steal good ideas from other teams. Right. Look, at, look at every other team and steal their best ideas. You know, Good artists copy, great artists steal. That's what they say, right? Just, just steal them. Make it happen. But have no shame about it. They wouldn't have any shame stealing from you, probably. Not that they do anything worth stealing here uh, in, in the Orioles organization, I don't think. Especially not when it comes to promotions, but, you know. There, there's, that's, our, that's our plea. That's Stacey and I's plea. And really anybody out there, you should, you should have higher expectations of the Orioles than just bobbleheads and t-shirts. And probably they'll do like they did last year, and they'll add a few t-shirt days through the year. But again, the t-shirts are cool, but they're also boring. You know... I, I liked getting whatever the Buckle Up Birds t-shirt and the I Back the Birds t-shirt, the Wei Yin Chen t-shirt. I like those, but I want a fedora or something else cool. I want a, a Matt Weeder's lawn gnome, you know, a garden gnome. Something. Just come up with something cool. Or steal something cool. That's our, that's our play for you. And you know what else the Giants do that the Orioles don't is the whole dyma- dynamic pricing thing, which you know more about me than I do, Stacy. so if you want to... Yeah, sure. Yeah, the uh, Orioles are are not doing that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, they do the dynamic pricing where if there is low interest in a game, then they drop the prices so that more people buy tickets. Amazing concept, right? Yeah. So <laughs> we actually were buying tickets for two Orioles games there, and we had all of the you know the sections side by side, and the Friday game had a much lower demand than the Saturday game, so the prices for the Friday game were much lower than the prices for the Saturday game. And I think that obviously it doesn't matter to us since since we're going out there specifically to see a baseball game and we don't live in San Francisco. But um, I mean, imagine if you know you want to if you live in Baltimore and you're thinking, oh hey, we should go to a game on a Tuesday night, and the tickets are super cheap because no one's going. More people will show up and go to the game and buy beer and soda and popcorn and hot dogs. Right, like what if there's and... twenty five thousand unsold seats for a Tuesday game against the Royals in May or something? And you know, mm-hmm. what if that meant tickets were half off the, the regular price at that time? Like it's it's three days before the series. You know, let's say it's the Saturday before the series, or even the day before. You know, whatever whatever scale they would use and. You don't think more people would go? I certainly think that, especially if the Orioles advertised what the the dynamic price had been driven down to. Mhm. I think so too. You know, and if they if they put a spot on the Masson broadcast for like what the prices were for the next series and how many unsold tickets or something, or you know, advertise it on their Twitter account or Facebook or whatever, you know, they could sell I think a significant number of tickets more I just from so. doing that. And one of the things that I'm that I've talked about with other Orioles fans and with people who last year were complaining about the attendance being low, despite the fact that the Orioles were winning, that is a thing that has to build back up. Because, for example, say I am a very casual Orioles fan, but I don't normally go to a lot of games. The Orioles start playing well and start contending, and I say, "Oh, you know, we should go to an Orioles game." And if all the prices for all the games are the same, we're we're going to go to Saturday's game because it's Saturday. And so the way that it's structured right now, even if the Orioles keep playing well, the only way that people are going to start filling up and selling out the more games is once the weekends start being impossible to get, then they'll start looking at the days when they have to go to work and they have to go to school and they have to do all of that. Whereas if a family of four could go on a Wednesday night, you know, for half as much as they would go on Saturday, then maybe they would go on Wednesday. Right, they'll make a special plan to go on Wednesday, and then maybe instead of having 35,000 on Saturday, and then you have like 12,000 on the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you know, maybe you can get to where 
it's like 30,000 on Saturday and it's 20,000 on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday or something. And I mean, that matters. That's a lot of people. It's still a half empty stadium with 20,000 people, but it's not like dead. Mm-hmm. So there's another thing that Orioles are not doing that we wish they would. And I have a feeling Although, that dynamic pricing will spread all across the league eventually. But yeah, I think only a handful of teams do it now. So it's not like the Orioles are really behind the curve on that one. But they could it's be just, trailblazers, and they aren't. And it's disappointing. Right. It's just when I see that as an option at different places, I think of how it could be applied to the team that I go see all the time. And, you know, I think it really would, could work. So there, that's our dual please. Have more interesting promotions and maybe think about dynamic pricing. And, you know, it would take more effort, but it would be worth it. I'm sure that it would reap rewards, especially if they promoted it, which as I guess we've just discussed how they're not good at promoting things. But imagine if they had someone who, who could. Um, I, I think that really it would sell itself as long as they made people aware of it. If you could go, you know, if a ticket that was like 30 on the weekend was like, I don't know, $18 on a Tuesday night. I think more people would go and sit in those seats. Who knows? What do I know? I don't know anything. But I like to imagine that could happen. Right. Well, some of it kind of seems like common sense, although I guess I know there's a lot more to it than that. But Yes, there is a lot more to it. So Stacy and I have pretty much reached the end of our rant list. We really did not want to talk about things that we have really no idea about. Like, cause for instance, it's an interesting thing to wonder about who's going to be the fifth starter i don't think anybody even in the orioles organization right now knows who the fifth starter is going to be so there's no there's no point in dissecting endlessly all the guys and especially if the you know the stats people always say well you shouldn't judge on their spring training so even you can't say well whoever has the best spring stats is going to be the fifth starter you know there's all kinds of complicated stuff so we didn't want to talk about that and uh, that's pretty much we've run through our list. So, Stacy, do you have any final comment on the Orioles at this moment or anything like that? I think my final comment on the Orioles for now is that I am ready for spring training to be over. We are three weeks from opening day, and whereas last year I kind of didn't – it didn't really uh, matter to me when spring training ended because I was so sure that they were going to be bad – uh, this year, I feel exactly the opposite, and it seems like spring training is just never going to end. So get here opening day, please. Right, I know. I don't want any more games where I'm seeing Luis Exposito trying to throw out runners in the ninth inning. I, I've had enough of that. But instead, Indeed. Instead, we have uh, a number more spring training games to get through. Opening day, of course, is April 2nd. So we're actually a little bit less than three weeks away from that. It'll be... Uh, Maybe two and a half by the time everybody listens to this week's. So, but that's still, it's going to be interminable now that we're actually looking forward to the season. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah, that's that. My final thought is kind of not exactly directly about the Orioles, but I just think it's really cool. And maybe you won't appreciate this if you're not a Ravens fan or really a, a total Baltimore homer like I am. I think it's awesome that Adam Jones has totally embraced like all things Baltimore because if you weren't following him during the Ravens Super Bowl run, he was just all about it. And he was like at all their road playoff games. There were pictures of him like shouting at him as they were coming out of the tunnel in Denver. And, you know, he got to be in the locker room after that when they were basking in all their wins and stuff like that. I mean, he's always tweeting about his favorite restaurant spots. I think he's looking into or has bought a house in Baltimore. So it's it's just really cool to see a player who's good on the Orioles, who's going to be sticking around for a while, who's really trying to put down roots here. I, I really think it's it's exciting to me. As you know, I like Baltimore, and people who don't hate Baltimore, I, I like them too. And Adam Jones really is just embracing everything about this place, and uh, I think that's great. So I, I look forward to seeing some more of what happens with him and that. And uh, you know what? Hopefully Adam Jones can bring a championship to Baltimore the same way he just kind of was on the sidelines when the Ravens brought a championship to Baltimore. That would be that would be the most awesome thing. And I think he would uh, really appreciate what he had done for the Baltimore fans if he was a part of doing that, which I also think is cool. Yeah, I, he has easily become the coolest you know, Baltimore 
Oriole that, you know, I can remember lately. He has got the personality. He's got the, you know, the talent. He loves the city, or at least he does a good job <laughs> with that, with pretending. Yeah. So Instead of, you know, you know, doing the Aubrey Huff treatment or something. Right. And so, I mean, he is a great, great guy to have on the team, and... I love that he loves Baltimore. And, you know, talk about stuff I've been wrong about. A year ago at FanFest, I said, oh, the Orioles need to trade Adam Jones because they're not going to be good in the near future and they need to get what they can for him. Yeah, a little bit wrong about that. But as with so many things last year, it was good to be wrong. And uh, I'm not 100% on board the Orioles returning to the playoffs wagon this year either. So it'll be good to be wrong about that too. Yeah, it'll be good to be wrong about the Yankees having more wins than the Orioles. And whatever else I'm not believing in, good to be wrong about Ryan Robert, or Brian Roberts or you know Nick Markakis. So we'll we'll see what uh, the season brings. We'll probably be back with a more in-depth season preview as the uh, season gets closer and the roster picture looks a bit more clear. But uh, you know, with Dan Duquette in charge, a lot can happen in two and a half weeks. I think there's still uh, they say today there's like 51 guys still in camp. Including four non-roster, mm-hmm. fourteen, excuse me, non-roster invitees. After they reassigned catcher Jose Heel and Newman Romero, the infielder, I did not even know either of those guys were in camp or who they are. And now they're gone. <laughs> now there's 51 guys left for a 25-man roster. So, you know, we we don't even know who's going to be on the team entirely. So we can't really talk about how good the team will be or specific things like that. But We'll be back when we know more about that. Uh, I don't know when that'll be yet, but we'll be back. That's all we have for tonight, though. So, for the boss of Camden Chat, Stacy Long, I am Mark Brown. We're bringing you Camden Cast. This is Birdland, and we are out.